had somebody else's iPad up here. Get confusing. I know, I know. Somebody else is trying to, you know, provide me with a different sermon this morning. <laughs> well, it is good to see all of you this morning, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Hopefully you got a good extra hour of sleep. This really is one of the best days of the year to preach, right? Because there's no excuse for sleeping during the sermon. You had an extra hour of sleep, and so you're probably feeling good this morning, which is fantastic. I hope that over the course of the last couple of weeks, you've enjoyed as we've talked about this impact initiative, just what a great gift and privilege it is that God has laid before us in terms of loving and caring for and ministering to this community. Just as a reminder, I want to encourage you to be praying about how the Lord might uh, be speaking to you in terms of participating in the impact initiative and that November 21st, that Sunday when we have our congregational meeting is also the Sunday that we're hoping to have pledges in by. You may have also noted that as a part of our impact initiative, our tagline is a place for everyone which just so happens to be our sermon series. It's funny how it works like that. We are so excited to be talking about this idea of creating a place for everyone because we probably have all at one point or another experienced a time when you didn't feel at home or welcome. When I was in eighth grade, my family moved from Linwood down to Puyallup. We lived in Linwood basically my whole life up to that point. Went to elementary school there, seventh grade there. I went to school with the same kids. I had kind of been familiar with the community. This was my home. And then we moved to Puyallup, and I was excited about this new adventure. I was excited about going some other place, but I certainly was not familiar with it. And the school that I was going to was new to me, and all the kids were new to me. And so I walked into Ferrucci Junior High. What a great name, Ferrucci Junior High. Walked in, and I was. it was made very apparent to me on the first day of school that this was not my home. I wasn't in Kansas anymore. This was a different place. And I walked into my, my health class first day and I didn't know anybody. So I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have any friends there. And so there were some really wonderful seats in the back corner. And so I found my seat in the back corner and my teacher is getting ready. I probably should scoot over here. So I'm in the light starts asking before taking attendance is there anybody who's new? And I had found the seat thinking this is going to be very inconspicuous. I'm just going to kind of sit over here, kind of, you know, ease myself into things. But as people started entering the room, the room totally filled up and the seats next to me filled up. And so when the teacher asked if there was anybody new, I raised my hand. And so did the people on either side of me. And so in the back corner, the far back corner, these three new kids raised their hand and everybody turned and looked this moment where I thought maybe I could escape from feeling awkward and uncomfortable just became that much more awkward and uncomfortable and everybody's looking and you know they're thinking who's this new guy and they're you know they're sizing you up and they're judging you and you know is he wearing the the cool clothes for the year and I felt so embarrassed so embarrassed I felt completely out of place I would imagine that at one point in your life or another, you have felt out of place. You have felt uncomfortable. You perhaps have even felt judged. You have felt like all the eyes were on you. Perhaps this morning you feel that way. Perhaps you have been courageous enough to come here for the very first time and you're feeling a little out of place. I promise that I won't make you raise your hand this morning. Perhaps you are here feeling a little uncomfortable because you don't really know all that much about this whole church thing. 
you don't really know all that much about God. And so the idea of having conversations of faith might be a little, little scary to you. Maybe you're here and you're feeling uncomfortable because you're experiencing sadness and brokenness. And maybe you think that that's not how you should be feeling as a Christian. You should be joyful and happy and everything should be wonderful and good. Or perhaps it's because there are things that are going on in your life that you believe make you insignificant or unworthy or unlovable. In the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, there's this account of some religious leaders coming before Jesus and this crowd of people, and they bring this woman who has been caught in adultery. And it's this trap that they're setting for Jesus, and they're looking for Jesus's approval for stoning her. But what we see in this account is God's gracious and loving response and a reminder that no person, how good, no matter how good they appear, is without sin. And we must be very careful, very, very careful not to condemn those who are hurting, that have a past, that don't have it all together. Moreover, in the midst of this story, Jesus models what it looks like to extend an invitation to experience a new way of life. And so I invite you this morning to read with me from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write in the ground with his, on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. The word of the Lord. Here we have this account where Jesus is doing what he has done on so many other occasions. He is teaching a group of people. There's this group of people that has gathered around him because they believe that he is an important teacher, that what he has to say has value, has merit, that it's something that needs to be heard. He's teaching from scripture. And in the midst of all of this, this crowd that has gathered here in, in the temple courts, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, bring this woman who has been caught in adultery. Now, we know that in the, in the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments that, that adultery is forbidden. And we know that from Leviticus uh, 20.10 that in the case of adultery, both the man and the woman who are caught in adultery, they are to be stoned. That is the consequence. And so here these Pharisees bring this woman. We don't see the man. He is not brought before Jesus. Probably something to do with the culture, the way in which men were viewed in the culture as opposed to women. But this woman is brought before Jesus and the Pharisees are looking for Jesus to decide what is going to happen to this woman. They're using this woman as a pawn in this ploy to trap Jesus. Now, although this, this woman's uh, sentence was to be carried out, she was to be 
executed. Rome had jurisdiction over capital punishment. So there's this weird tension between what scripture says and Roman rule. And so the Pharisees are trying to see which way Jesus goes. Does he follow what scripture says? Does he follow the Ten Commandments? Does he follow the law of Moses? Or does he side with Roman rule and this capital punishment that is to be carried down by the leaders in Rome? Would Jesus reject the law given to Moses, in which case he could be condemned? Or would he affirm the Pharisees' charge, which would seem contrary to his reputation as this compassionate sort of teacher? Moreover, would he support the Pharisees' charge, in which case he might be reported to the Roman leaders for ex- ex- excuse me, exercising the death penalty, which again, at this point, was under the purview of the Roman government? And in this situation, there was no shortage of witnesses. Most certainly, this is no coincidence. The, the Pharisees, the leaders, could have come to Jesus in a private context and asked him this question, but they did this within, within the temple courts. They wanted other people to view what was going on, to be privy to this, this conversation. The Pharisees were looking to make a spectacle, to bring before a crowd this adulteress who could be shamed and used in this ploy to bring down Jesus this teacher who oftentimes did and acted in unconventional sorts of ways. And after Jesus hears this question, he does this kind of odd thing. He bends down and he starts to write in the dirt with his finger. And we don't know exactly why he's doing this. It could be any number of things. Perhaps he's just waiting to see if the Pharisees really are going to go through with this. Maybe he's just collecting his thoughts. Maybe this is some sort of allusion to when, when God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger. Perhaps he's writing the Seventh Commandment, that thou shalt not commit adultery. Maybe the Tenth Commandment that forbids coveting a neighbor's wife. Maybe he's writing a pardon. We don't know, but he takes this moment. And while he's taking this moment, the Pharisees continue to ask this question of him. What should be done with this woman? What do you say should be done? Should this sentence be carried out? They keep asking him the question. And you have to imagine that the people that are gathered there are curious about this because they came to hear Jesus' teaching. They value what he has to say. And so they probably start to wonder, well, what, what's Jesus going to do? What's he going to say? Do you think he's going to pardon her? Do you think he's going to carry this out? And as all this is going on, this woman, who by all counts was guilty of this crime, Jesus doesn't dispute this charge. She is standing there, waiting while all of this unfolds and people are watching her. This woman who had committed a crime for all intents and purposes, she is there and people are watching and observing and seeing this thing go on. And and you have to imagine that that is the last place that she wants to be. You have to think about how uncomfortable she probably was in the midst of this setting. She's waiting to see if Jesus is going to condemn her. She's out of place, unwelcome, looked down upon. Can you imagine putting yourself in the midst of that situation? Imagine standing there, your fate literally hanging in the balance, people staring at you, wanting to stone you. Certainly not a place where you would feel welcome. But after writing in the dirt, Jesus stands up and he says, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. And then he goes back to writing in the dirt again. 
He asks this question, and his response is not what the Pharisees, these teachers, thought he was going to say. Eyebrows probably started to raise. I'm not without sin. Are are you without sin? Shoulders start to sag, kind of this head nod like, we should should probably go. This isn't going the way that they had planned, right? This wasn't the way that they had planned this thing out. But Jesus never gave the Pharisees, the teachers, the Sadducees, the, the, the responses, the answers that they were looking for. We know this. We see it in Matthew 22. The Sadducees and the Pharisees come before Jesus trying to trip him up about marriage and the greatest commandment and his response is not what they're looking for. We see it in the book of Mark, Mark 12. The Pharisees are, are trying to trick Jesus in regards to paying taxes and his response is not what they're looking for. And here, once again, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to bait him in. They're trying to trick him, but he doesn't take that bait. In fact, what he does is he calls out the sinful nature of the Pharisees, these religious leaders so devoted to the law and yet still sinful men. Perhaps this was a general rebuke, a reminder of their sinfulness, or perhaps it was more specific to the situation. As I said, there, there is no, there's nothing in the text that seems to indicate that Jesus disputed this claim about this woman. So either A, the teachers were accidental witnesses to this account. These teachers were perhaps present because they created this scenario in order to trap Jesus. Or maybe they condoned the deed, in which case they would still remain guilty as participating in this. And moreover, within the context of Jewish teaching, there's an understanding that even the most faithful, even the most pious people were still sinful, still sinners. And God was the one who had the power to judge and forgive their sins. And Jesus provides this nice little reminder of that for them. And so one by one, they begin to walk away, starting with the oldest, maybe because they had the most sin. We don't know for sure, but they start walking away one by one until all that remained were Jesus and the woman. The Pharisees, the teachers, they leave, they walk away. And all that is left here is Jesus and this woman And they look at each other, and Jesus asks this question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? To which she replies, no one, sir. Here's a woman who has been brought by religious leaders in front of a crowd, and Jesus, this influential teacher that people were following and wanting to hear from. She's in the In the temple court, she's charged with this crime that is clearly expressed in Jewish law. And there's a very clear and final punishment for. And there are people that are practically clutching stones, ready to stone her to death. But instead of finding herself face to face with these men, with their fists clenched around stones, she is face to face with the only person who can truly judge her and his hands are empty. His hands are empty. She came to that place with men clutching stones, ready to stone her for this 
this act that she had committed. And the only person left, the only person who was in any position to judge her and his stones are empty or his hands are empty. There are no stones clutched in his hands. And Jesus does this beautiful thing. He invites her into a new way of life free from sin. And here's what I believe to be true. I believe that this invitation is the same invitation that we as the church are called to extend to others. We are called to extend this invitation to come in, to learn about this new way of life through a relationship with Jesus. About how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. About how Christ came and took our punishment upon himself and that we are justified by Christ's work on the cross. But here's the hard part about this. We can't do this if we are pointing fingers. We can't do this if we are so focused on identifying flaws. We can't do this if we just simply don't like things about other people. We can't do this when our hands are full of rocks. This will not be an inviting place, a welcoming place for those that are hurting or broken, those who are struggling, those who are are weary, those who have made mistakes. This will not be a place for everyone if if we are clutching rocks in our hands. If we have fists full of rocks that we are ready to unload on those that don't have it all together. And here's the kicker. Jesus so clearly points out that none of us have it all together. No one is without sin. No one is perfect. No one makes all the right choices. No one is void of of offending people. We all do these things from time to time. And so the question that has to be asked is what rocks are you holding? This morning, as you sit in the sanctuary, what rocks are you holding? What resentment do you have? What judgments do you carry with you that impact the way that you love others? What anger is preventing you from loving and caring for, forgiving, investing in, and welcoming others? Perhaps the rocks that you are holding aren't even related to a person's character. Perhaps they're just simply preferences. You prefer one thing and can't fathom the fact that someone would prefer something else, and so it's your way or the highway. Your preference is right, their preference is wrong. And so you hold so tightly to these rocks, ready to release them whenever possible. You are unwilling to welcome in someone who simply thinks or experiences life differently than you do. You see, we hold so tightly to these rocks that we also oftentimes try to seek other people that will help to justify our opinions and our perspectives. The Pharisees brought this woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus, but in a very public sort of way, before this crowd in the temple courts. And they were doing this certainly to trick Jesus, but they're also doing this because they're looking for affirmation. They could have done this publicly, but they came before Jesus and they're looking for affirmation of their their perspective. They weren't looking to be told that they were wrong. They were looking to be supported and viewed as righteous. Then oftentimes we do the same thing. We go to others looking for them to justify our anger or resentment, or our biases, so that we can hold tighter to those rocks and feel better about ourselves when we let them fly. And in doing so, not only do we hold tighter to the rocks that we have, but we put rocks in the hands of others. Not only do we hold tighter to the rocks that we have, but we put rocks in the hands 
of other people. And so what was once only a major issue to us is now a major issue to others. An angry, resentful, unwelcoming mob has formed and it infiltrates and it can taint a congregation. It can contaminate an entire body. And so the second question that has to be asked is, what rocks are you trying to put in the hands of others? See, we collectively are a body made up of imperfect people. I am imperfect. You are imperfect. And next Sunday, when somebody comes for the very first time and they walk through those doors, it will be an imperfect person. And as imperfect people, we are inclined to judge others, to hold a grudge, to be resentful and unwelcoming, to be inflexible and stubborn. We are inclined to be self-righteous. I am included in these tendencies. You are inclined to these tendencies. Matthew 7 reminds us that before we even address the speck in someone else's eye, we have to deal with the big log, the plank that is in our own eye. If we are going to be the body as Christ intended, we need to be daily on our knees asking the Lord to help us lay down the stones that we are so inclined to carry and heave at others. We need to ask the Lord to make us aware of those places where we are taking those stones and we are putting them in the hands of other people so that we feel justified in our anger and our resentment. We need to ask the Lord's help in doing these things because we are in no position to cast stones. I am a sinner and you are a sinner, just like the woman caught in adultery, just like the Pharisees, just like the crowd that had gathered around. And the only person that is in any position to judge, the only person that is in any position to cast stones is Jesus. And thank God his hands are empty. Jesus said to the woman when, he real, when she realized that there was no one left to condemn her, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Embassy family, may we be individuals and a collective church family that meet others with open hands rather than rocks. May we be a community that welcomes warmly. May we be a community that models grace and compassion and understanding. May we be a people that point others to not only a better way, but the better way that is only found in Christ. I think the beauty of the church is that the church is made up of this diversity of broken, sinful people that God still wants to use, all of whom are loved and redeemed by the grace of God. Here's what I know to be true. It is far easier to help carry another person's burden if our hands are empty. It is far easier to embrace someone with comfort when our hands are empty. It is far easier to lift someone up when they're feeling down when our hands are empty. And it is far easier to pull out a chair at a table to invite someone into your home, into connection and community and relationship when our hands are empty beautiful thing is the only person who is in any position to cast stones at us, his hands are empty and he invites us into his table. 